One statement, tomorrow matters. Tomorrow, literally tomorrow, and our future tomorrows matter. So we're talking about making change. Today's topic is how God views our stuff. Now, I don't know about you, but some of life seems confusing, whether it's relationship or parenting, marriage. Um, I don't know about the rest of you, but uh, I found that females are different than males. <laughs> and so it was confusing at times. There is confusing. Uh, other areas of life could be confusing. So part of the solving of the confusion in life is seeing things or beginning to see things the way God sees them. Is God confused? I don't think so. <laughs> so this is certainly true of the area of finances, and that's what we're talking about. <clears throat> if we can see things the way God sees them, we're more likely to do the things God would like us to do. And we said last week, you can't follow Jesus and remain financially lost. Meaning, if I'm financially lost, I spend all my time and energy trying to get unlost, and consequently, you know, I'm distracted from greater purpose, if you will, uh, of following Jesus. So I want to make a statement, and um, there might be some pushback on this. Money is a spiritual issue. I know money is a concrete thing, but money is a spiritual issue. That means purchases, and this is the part I don't think we think about. Purchases are spiritual decisions. That's just for a Jesus follower. <clears throat> we tend to separate those two things. Uh, those of us more mature Christians will see, yeah, the, a portion of my finances I uh, give to God, but the, the rest, uh, I'm just, you know, he's, he's allowing me to do what I want with it. Well, that's not necessarily true. So that's kind of where we're going this morning. If that idea, does that concept scare you? Does it scare you? It shouldn't. A basic principle is this. No one who follows biblical principles with our money, with our stuff, gets into financial trouble. We don't spend more than we make. We don't save for the future, etc., etc. No one who follows biblical principles gets into financial trouble, so that should not scare us. Now, I kind of addressed this last week. Do you think God wants your money? Do you think I want your money? Do you think the church wants your money? Now, some people do, and that's... They don't like preachers talking about money. Um, the simple answer is no. <laughs> and this is why. If you believe that God wants your money, your God is just too small. Too small. We said last week, God does, owns what? He owns the universe. Don't you think he could take your money if he wanted to? Compare it to the government. If the government wants to raise your taxes and take some more of your money than they already do, can they do that? Sure they can do that. Now, I believe our God is a lot bigger than the United States government. So if God wanted to take your money, he could certainly take it. So the good news is this. Whatever you have, God's allowing you to have it. That's his job to manage them. So he's not doing a good job. So the employer calls him in. <clears throat> And said to him, what is this I hear about you? So somehow the information got to, to his employer. Get your report in, in order because I'm going to fire you. So he didn't fire him instantly. He said, okay, get your affairs in order, uh, settle accounts, whatever it might be, 
and then you're fired. Um, so now this guy has a dilemma. I don't know if you've ever been fired, but when you, if you've been fired or laid off, uh, you have a dilemma, right? You're used to having this income, and now you're not going to have this income or for a while. What are you going to do in the future? So that's really the focus of this story is how do you take care of your future? The manager thought to himself, again, hypothetical story. Now what? Okay. Now my situation, I'm being fired. Now what do I do? Time issue. My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches. He's evaluating. And I'm too proud to beg. That's an issue for him, but it was. I know how to secure the... Ah, he had an idea. I know how to ensure that I have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am fired, so I won't be homeless. So I know how to do something to provide for my future, at least a place to live. So short-term pain for long-term gain. And we're going to see that in, in what transpires. So in his managing, he's settling accounts. So he invites somebody, one of these account man, uh, accounts, people that has an account, owed him money to an employer to come and discuss the situation. Now here's his plan. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him, my, my boss? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. Now, if you are this guy that just got your bill cut in half, are you going to be thankful or appreciative to this guy for doing this for you? Absolutely. And I can imagine you saying something like this. If there's anything I can do for you in the future, let me know. Guy not knowing that Sooner than later, this guy is going to ask him for something. And then he brought it to somebody else. Again, hypothetical story, but this could be a real situation. <clears throat> and how much do you owe your, my employer? The next man. I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat. Sounds like a lot. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. All right, so he's settling accounts. He's getting less money for his employer than what these people owe. But his goal is to provide for his future. What am I going to do when I don't have this job anymore? Now, this guy seems like... Now, these parables represent things. Like, the rich guy is probably God. So who is this guy? This guy that mismanaged... Who does he represent? Well, he seems to be the villain in the story at this point, right? Most of us would agree. He's done a bad job at his, for his employer. So, text goes on, and it's a little surprising. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so, so shrewd. Wait a minute, wait a minute Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. This guy seems like the villain, but you're saying that He's been being admired. Uh, are you telling us that it's admirable to be dishonest, mismanaged? Seems a little confusing. So why did the rich man admire this guy? Another tra translation says it this way. The master commanded, or commended the unjust manager 
Not for his misdeeds. Okay, so that helps clarify it. We're not encouraging people to be dishonest. But because he had acted truly, what does that mean? Preparing for his future unemployment. So he's doing something now that's preparing the results being something good for himself in the future. Getting fired is not pleasant, but I need to provide for my future. And so, Jesus explains what he's talking about. And it is true that the children of this world, we would say people that aren't Jesus followers, are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are children of light. So they do a better job of, in general, people that aren't Jesus followers, using the now to plan for the then than Jesus followers. And that seems a little odd. Why aren't we good at that? Well, their then is different than our then. Their then is the rest of their earthly life. Our then is what? Our end goes on for eternity, even though we believe everybody lives for or dies for eternity. So he gives us more explanation. This is how it is. Oh, no, excuse me. I put another translation. Those attuned to the evil age are more clever in dealing with their affairs. Right? Unbelievers are more clever dealing with their earthly affairs than Jesus followers are in dealing with their affairs. Again, why is that true? How is that true? So Jesus starts to explain, and it's a quite detailed explanation. Here's a lesson. Use your worldly resources... Now he's talking to Jesus' followers. He's talking to his disciples. Use your worldly resources to benefit others. I got resources, physical resources, material resources. I had money. Jesus said, okay, God has provided those for you for this purpose, to benefit others and make friends. Why? Well, then, so this is now, for then or when, your possessions are gone. When are your possessions gone? When do you no longer have possessions? When your earthly life is over. So when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. Now, anytime Jesus says something, we don't always think this way. Uh, if Jesus says it to us, if you're a Jesus follower, it is a marching orders. It is commands. It is instructions for what you and I not are supposed to, but we are to do. It's not, eh, maybe, uh, I, I'll think about it. No. Jesus followed. Jesus says, do this. We are to do this. He's our boss. Your boss gives you something to do, you do it. So, what, what's another way of saying this? How, we, how do we understand this? Well, I'm going to put it this way. Our possessions, our worldly resources, are tools. What are their purpose? Their purpose is to Help others. Now, it doesn't mention ourselves. I think that's implied. But the biggest thing is for us to way to think is that these resources are to help others. Now, about you, I have lots of tools. It's great to have the right tool for the right job. So God says, this is the right tool for you to benefit others. Another way I say it's this. Temporary stuff, all earthly stuff is temporary. Temporary stuff can have an eternal impact, which is fantastic, isn't it? That the stuff I have here on earth can impact 
eternity. And the biggest way that that happens is when I benefit others with these resources, especially if that person can come into the kingdom. So when I get to heaven, they can greet me and say, hey, I appreciated how you helped me get into eternity. So here's the question. How can you and I utilize what we have to further God's kingdom? Earthly kingdom, eternal kingdom. What can we do? I got thinking about, I told you, my wife and I, the first 10 years of our marriage, we argued about money all the time. But we didn't argue about how to use it for God's kingdom. No, no, no. I wanted to spend it one way and she wanted to spend it another way. Can you imagine us arguing about, oh, yeah, what's the best way to use this for God's kingdom? But that's not what it was. So how can we use it? Just some illustrations. Well, for one, if you have a house, you can open it up for hospitality. You can open it up for a small group. Uh, you can invite teenagers over, have a good time. Uh, that's a stretch for some of us, maybe. Uh, my wife actually teaching the teenagers right now. Um, I thought about, and some of you remember Lillian, Lillian Pickens. She was a charter member of this church. She was a senior citizen 30 years ago when I came on the scene, uh, when she, this church started. And she did lots of jobs in the church. She was a treasurer. She took care of uh, when people called the church and wanted help. She would take care of that. She loved children. She taught children until she could no longer get down on the floor and back up again. So she's probably in her 80s before she stopped um, doing that. But one thing she did that I always thought fascinating was Probably into her 80s, she had a car and she still could drive, and she would take people to their doctor's appointments, people younger than her. So she was using her earthly resources to benefit others. And I'm sure lots of you do the same thing. Um, that's what Jesus is talking about here. And the neat thing about, maybe you've been on a mission trip, the neat thing about when you do this, when, so, when you start talking about it, do you have a frown on your face? Oh, I had to take that person to the doctor. Oh, I had to go on this missions trip. No, you come back with a smile on your face. God wired us. He knows what brings joy to us. And, and true joy comes from serving others. Now, unfortunately, often we don't see life that way. And it's natural. We get caught up in our daily lives. And, and uh, stress is bad, as, as the video said. And we all have stress. Uh, managing our lives and our relationships. So, it's a tool. He goes on. If you're faithful, he uses a, a simple illustration, comment that we all can understand. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in, in larger things. So, if you can manage $10, you can hopefully manage $100. But if you are dishonest in little things, if you know, if you're, if you're told to manage $10 and you do it poorly, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Now, management is a responsibility. Somebody has given you this responsibility. So I think I see this as a character test. Can I be faithful? Um, and we all understand this, especially if you're, well, if you're a parent, but you, you had a parent. And so... Remember when you got your driver's license, did your parents say to you, okay, you can have the car anytime you want, as long as you want, you can stay out as late as you want. Is that what they did? Anybody have a parent like that? Maybe you did. I don't know. I certainly didn't have a parent like that. 
okay, well, you can go out for a couple hours. Uh, well, you know, didn't have cell phones back then, but um, so you need to be home at a certain time. And if you, you know, if you get, don't break your curfew, then maybe it could be a little longer. But even the government does this, right? From what I understand now, um, well, when you're getting your license, you, before you get your license, you got to have a licensed driver with you. Even after you get your license, you can't be driving around young people for a while, children around for a while. So the government realizes that you've got to prove you're responsible with little things before they'll give you bigger responsibilities. So that's all Jesus is saying here. If you can learn to do smaller things or easier things or little things, then you can be trusted with bigger things. In fact, he elaborates in the next verse with the negative side. If you're untrustworthy about worldly stuff, you, uh, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Well, who, who would trust us with it? Well, it's God, right? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? So I see our possessions are not only a tool, but they are a test, a test of our character, a test of our uh, responsibility, a, trust, uh, a test. Now, I don't know about you, I don't like tests. Anybody like tests? Nobody likes tests, right? Uh, but life is full of tests. I, even driver's license responsibility. Next slide, please. Our resources are a test. <clears throat> so consequently, we all are given a little bit of stuff and a little bit of time. Now, in relationship to the universe and in relationship to uh, all the resources in the universe, we all have a little bit of stuff, no matter how wealthy you are, and we all have a little bit of time. And the older you are, the less time you have, right? <clears throat> now, the important thing to remember is this. If you're a Jesus follower, the little bit that you possess, the little bit of time and the little bit of resources, <clears throat> they're not ours. They're not ours. And preacher types like me, I think, promote this somehow when we teach tithing, which is giving 10% of what you have back to God. And it's kind of like, okay, you owe God 10%, 90% is yours. But no, 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 that's not true. We said last week, it all belongs to God. So ultimately, can you really give anything to God if he owns it all? Um, I own these glasses, can you give them to me? If you have them, you can return them to me but they belong to me. So all your time, all your stuff, Jesus is telling us, is mine. And you are to manage it, hopefully manage it well. If you manage what you have now, it will be rewarded, I guess that's a good word, in eternity. So the test determines whether or not you can be trusted. Isn't that what he said? Trusted with little, you can be trusted with that. If you can't be trusted with little, you can't be trusted with a lot. That's the next slide. <clears throat> now determines later. Whether you're driving a car, oh, you're responsible driving your car now, then later you can drive it. You have more freedom in driving it. It's a test. Your time and your resources that God has given you is a test. And I... Put on your outline, do you realize that your test score, I don't know 
score is the right word, <laughs> will determine that your, what your eternity will be like. All right? So now is going to affect then. Now, it will not determine where you go. If you're lousy with your resources and your money, hopefully you're not. But if you are, if you're a Jesus follower, you'll be in heaven. Um, but you didn't do very well on the test. You got a low score. So somehow, and I'm not sure exactly, it doesn't explain to us what that looks like in eternity. It sounds like those who are responsible here will have more responsibilities in eternity. Whatever that looks like, it's going to be a, a positive future, a more positive future than people that don't manage their resources well. So it boils down to this, to refuse to sacrifice now. Meaning, by sacrifice it means doing what God wants you to do with your resources and time rather than what you want to do it, is to choose to sacrifice later. Again, we don't have a clear picture what that is, but we're sacrificing something for the future. Now, the Scripture talks about tithes and offerings. And one thing I like to explain, I believe anyway, is that you can't give an offering until after you've given your tithe. Uh, because, quote-unquote, you owe your tithe. Uh, so there's no offering, there's no freely giving of anything until you get past that. And I know most people don't tithe these days, but that's just my personal uh, belief, theological belief. So by refusing to sacrifice now, we're sacrificing something in eternity. Then he uses a verse that Matthew also uses in a different context. Actually, we used it last week. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God, and we think it's going to be the devil, but it's not the devil. It's money, or be it enslaved to money. So our resources also, our possessions, reveal our ownership as well as our allegiance. So if you're a Jesus follower, you're owned by God. You're bought with a price, the Scripture says. <clears throat> so your allegiance is supposed to be to your owner or to your boss to, our, to your God. Now, if you're an American citizen and you sell you know, some kind of secrets to foreigners, what do we call you? You're a traitor to the United States, right? And so when we mismanage our possessions, if we use them the way we want instead of the way God wants, we are a traitor to that allegiance to our God, or we use the term Lord, Lordship. So the ultimate issue is Lordship. Who is, owns you? Who is your boss? Best way to think about it is where is your heart? Who are you trying to please? Is it the Lord Jesus or is it yourself or somebody else? So bottom line, possessions, our stuff is a test of our loyalty, our loyalty to our Lord. That's hard to say, loyalty to our Lord. <clears throat> they can benefit us in eternity. So, what am I doing with my stuff? What am I doing with my time? Am I being loyal with them to my Lord? If so, it'll benefit me in eternity. So, God and possessions are mutually exclusive. Our love of God, our love of possessions are mutually exclusive. Exclusive, right? You can't love God and be enslaved to money or dedicated or your heart 
can't be after God and after money. <clears throat> you can't love both. And then the next verse is just a comment on his audience. <laughs> the Pharisees who dearly love their money, which means they didn't truly love God. Can't, they're mutually exclusive. They heard all this and scoffed. And just a warning, if you're scoffing at this teaching today, it may be because your love is misplaced. So, let me sum this all up. As long as we are lost in consumption, as long as we're lost financially, we can't use our stuff as a tool. We fail the test of um, trustworthiness. And we wind up serving our stuff. Now, if I ask you, you want to serve your stuff, most of you are going to tell me, no, I don't want to do that. But that's the result. Now, most of us adjust our budget, how we spend our money, depending on how our bills change. For example, you buy a new car and, or buy a car and you don't have cash for it. You've got a new bill that you've got to pay, so you have to adjust your resources to pay that bill, right? Car is paid off, then you adjust that resources somewhere else and spend it somewhere else. <clears throat> so we do these adjustments for the material world. But how often do we make adjustments for God's kingdom? Make adjustments in benefiting others. Well, you know, I'm going to you know, set aside more money to give to this missionary or mission cause or to this Christian organization, etc., now, I understand, this is kind of seems a little radical, maybe, to see things this way. Again, I mentioned that it helps with the confusion if we see things the way God sees things. Because God sees things perfectly. <clears throat> now, let me address a, what I call pushback. I always try and think of what, how people are going to push back against, against this. So here it is. And maybe this is you right now. If I started thinking that way, it would take all the fun out of life. All my time and resources, I've got to do what God wants to do. I don't get to do what I want to do. So let me use a silly illustration to help understand this. Um, when I was a boy, I didn't like girls. Uh, they were a waste of time. They were weird and all that kind of stuff. And so I spent my time, or had fun in life, was playing sports and collecting baseball cards and you know, that was fun and riding my bike these were things that brought you know made fun out of life and then somewhere along the line I discovered girls now girls you can think about it as, as guys and I know we have some single folks um, but I discovered girls and I, I found one special girl and I married her and I spent the last almost 45 years with her. Now, if you would ask me, do you want to be married, in my case, to Debbie for the last 45 years, or spend your life playing sports and driving, riding your bike? No problem deciding whatsoever, is it? It's way more fun being married to my wife than it ever was playing with baseball cards, even though I thought that was the greatest joy at the time. I don't know if this helps, but whatever joy you're finding in saying, no, this stuff is mine, it's not God's, there's greater joy out there discovering what it is to say, God, it's all yours, I'm just here to manage it. Let me summarize it this way. 
consuming is not fulfilling. Fulfilling for long. I mean, there's some joy in it, there's some fulfillment, but it doesn't last. You ever slap down your credit card for something and say, oh, this is awesome, I get to spend this money and get this bill. Nobody does that, do they? So serving. Serve. I, 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 don't, I do understand it in a way, but it's hard for me to understand why we don't have enough people serving in, in certain ministries of our church. It's hard. It's like pulling teeth sometimes to get somebody to serve. Well, wait, wait a minute. It shouldn't be that way. That should be our joy. Again, you don't go on a mission trip and come back with a frown on your face. I don't know anybody that's gave themselves, gave away the resources and got themselves into financial dilemma. I, I never met anybody like that. Maybe you do. They gave so much away that they didn't have enough to live. So what is the opposite of loss? We said last week it's not just being found. It's realizing where you are and how to get where you want to be. So I asked you last week, and some of you gave me some feedback. You're, you're starting to keep track of this. I think that's wonderful. Keep track of where your money's going. I just want to give you a little caveat. If you have a six-month bill, like a car insurance, if you pay it during this month, only take a sixth of it for this month's expenses. Or vice versa, if you don't pay it this month, knowing in the future you're going to have to pay it, put a, uh, a sixth of it on your expenses for this month. You're all smart enough to know how to do that. So, continue with that assignment. So, we all have a little bit of time, even if you live to be 100. A little bit of time. And we all have a little bit of money. Most of us agree with that, right? We don't have a lot of money. Whose is it? Whose does it belong to? Is it yours or is it God's? And if it's God's, he's already told us what to do with it. He wants it to use it to benefit others, which consequently then benefits us, brings fulfillment, joy to us. Let me pray with you. Father God, we are trapped in a physical world. We spend a lot of time thinking about it, working, etc. Um, let's say wrong. Uh, it's part of physical life. Uh, but probably we need to have a perspective test that we would see this world the way you see it. We would see our resources the way you see our resources. And then, God, we understand that you're a God that doesn't want to bring uh, unhappiness to us. You want to bring joy to us. There's more joy in serving than there is in selfishness. There's more joy, it's more blessed to give than receive. And God, help us to examine and re-examine our selfishness. Help us to see our resources as yours. And there's a certain freedom in that when I understand it's all for you, God. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, these aren't principles that you need to live by. But we would so encourage you to think about what joy does stuff ultimately bring. And what are you doing now to prepare for then, for, for eternity? 
God wants to welcome everyone to his family. You're separated from him at this point, and um, he wants to, to know you, to love you, wants you to receive that gift. Confess your sins, receive forgiveness, and then you will have an eternity. And then you will see the joy, the wisdom in using stuff to bless others because that also blesses us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your love for us, God. Uh, We're thankful that we have so much. We have so much. I pray that we will use it for your glory. Use it wisely. That we'll pass the test with flying colors. And we'll have that reap those rewards in eternity. And we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.